Reconciling us to yourself, redeeming us your Holy Spirit, for giving us all the, the promises that you promised about the Old Testament. Thank you, Lord, that we can be uh, beneficiaries of those promises. Lord, thank you, Lord, that you give those to us and that we can experience them. Uh, thank you, Lord, that we have the hope of heaven in front of us, Lord, the hope of your return. Uh, thank you, Lord, that we've been forgiven of your wrath, Lord, that we can look forward to your return with joy. I pray, Father, that as we read your word, Lord, that it speak to our hearts, Lord, that it encourages us, that it helps remain faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, let's go to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, we're going to be reading verses 30 and 31. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 30 and 31. Hebrews chapter 11, starting at verse 30, it says this. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the, prost the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Now, two very simple verses that we read here in Hebrews chapter 11. And, and these folks are up there with Moses and Abraham and Noah and Abel and, and all these heroes of the faith. And after these people are, are mentioned, you run into Samson and Gideon, and then they go through, they don't even really say the names of the people who've been torn in two, you know, saw and you know, watch out for the, the, be safe from the fire and from lions and all these things. Then we have here, we have a prostitute and we have Joshua, the children of Israel, simply marching around a city as both being folks who are people of faith and folks that we are to look up to. So we're going to look over in the book of Joshua and kind of look through their lives a little bit and see why they are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 as being those who are faithful and they're among the likes of the Abraham and Moses uh, in history. So let's go to the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 2, Joshua chapter 2. Now we get to Joshua chapter 2, what's happened is the children of Israel have already been wandering in the desert for 40 years. Uh, they, the Red Sea crossing with Pharaoh had already happened 40 years prior. They've been led through the wilderness by a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire. They've been going from place to place, and finally God was saying to them, okay, now you're going to go ahead and enter into the promised land. Now, they had already fought a major battle on the other side of the Jordan. They, they fought uh, Og, king of Bashan. They, they fought him and actually defeated them, and these guys were massive people. They were giants in the land at that time. So they actually went and defeated that whole army and that whole territory. And now they're going to cross into the Jordan. And their next target is going to be the city of Jericho. Now the city of Jericho was a major city at that time. It's, it's been throughout all of history. Um, it's been, it's gone through its times of war in the past, even before this time. But at this point in time, it's built up and it's built up very large. The walls were imposing walls. They weren't like a wall that we see on 1960 that they put up for road construction. It wasn't something like that. It was something that was massive. People could live in the walls. You could have houses in the wall. And with your house in the wall, you could also have an area where there was a, a thoroughfare on, next to the wall or in, within the wall between the houses going along the wall. There was a part for military to be on top of the wall. So these walls were not thin walls. They were incredibly thick. Okay, They were there for defense. 
They're there for people to live. They provided protection for those cities. So this is going to be a major, major place that the children of Israel now have to go and fight and defeat. So when we get to Joshua chapter 2, we're going to come into the part where Joshua is going to send some spies in to kind of take a look and see what's going on and to report back. So it says this, Joshua chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shidon. Go, go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. And that's interesting. Why are they even talking about this? Right? So the, the king hears that people are talking and saying, there's some Israelites in here. Why are they even concerned? Why do they even care? Well, they care because what did they just do just the other side of the Jordan? They just knocked out the two biggest and toughest nations on the other side of the Jordan not too long ago. And now those two million people are going to come across and come here next. So people are obviously concerned. So the king, verse 3 of Jericho, sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly, you may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men sent out and pursued the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. So it seems like the city is not something that you can leave at nighttime and come back at nighttime, right? This, once that gate is shut, everything's closed in until the next morning. So she goes and she goes and hides the spies. But the king is wanting to find these guys to find out what in the world they're even doing. Verse 8. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. Now, it's very interesting. Is how does she, does she say we know that the God of heaven is with you? She doesn't say that. But she says we know, she goes, I know that Yahweh or that Jehovah has given this land to you. It's very interesting. She actually knows God's name. She's not just saying, and when you run into Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel, he doesn't call God Jehovah or Yahweh. He calls him the God of heaven, God Almighty. But he doesn't use this, this word, the Lord. But she even says, I know that Yahweh, that Jehovah has given this land to you. She goes, we're all terrified of you. Verse 10, we have heard how the Lord dried out the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. That happened 40 years prior. She's saying, I know what, what happened. We, I mean, I mean, you would think that an event like that is something that would be quite memorable. Right. I mean, you know, people can I remember when growing up, my mom remembers where she was when JFK was shot. Right. So one president shot in a city very far away from where she was. And she knew exactly the, what happened, the circumstance in school, the teacher crying, all that stuff. When that event happened. When we look at this, could you imagine hearing that? Hey, there's this people, this whole group of slaves are leaving out of Egypt. The most powerful, one of the most powerful kingdoms in the world at that time. They're taken off out of there. They're leaving with all the Egyptian stuff. And as they come, they come to the Red Sea. And suddenly, 
the Red Sea is heaped up in two – a path is made right down the middle, and on the left side there's a big, huge tower of water, and on the other side a huge tower of water, and the people went through on dry ground. Since when do you dredge a, you know, a lake or anything like that, remove all the water, and it's dry ground right away? And two million people crossed over it, however long that takes to cross. And once they finally get across, the Egyptians went and followed them in, and when they followed them in, suddenly all that water came and destroyed them all. I mean, that's something that would make the news even in ancient times. That's something you talk about. That's something people discuss. And it was there'd be no mistaking that, you know, for 40 years, did you see that pillar of fire at nighttime while they're in the desert? There's 2 million people that follow that thing. And whenever it gets up and moves, they get up and move. And they move in this very orderly fashion as they're making their way from place to place. And they never come in here asking for food or water. They're never coming in to trade to get food. How are they eating out there? Again, this would have been something that would have caused even a stir in the ancient world because she even says, she goes, we know what went, went down there. We remember about that. And then she says this, and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites, we know you guys just took out those two guys. Those guys are, are, are tough. That's a, a very big military thing that's going on. Those guys are huge. They're giants. And you guys beat them. You completely destroyed them. Verse 11, when we heard of it, our hearts melted. And everyone's courage failed because of you. Right? So she's saying, we all know Jericho's talking. And we're terrified. Now, Jericho should feel, feel just fine because they're in a major walled city. They've been through wars before, so they know what things had gone wrong the last time. Right? They obviously were able to keep Og and Sihon away from them on the other side of the Jordan. But now that these two million people that have a God that can split the Red Sea, that have a God can help them completely destroy those other folks, are saying, oh, my gosh, they're melting in fear because of it. Look at the way she interprets it, though. Second part of verse 11. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. What did she realize from all those events? She realized that if there's any God that's the true God, it's got to be your God. Because no other God could do that. No other, no other God that, 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 that uh, the people of Jericho knew, that she knew in the past, something like that, could do. She knew that only the Lord, only Yahweh, is God in heaven above and on earth below. There is no other. Verse 12. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family, because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. What was Rahab assuming was going to happen? We're gone. We're gone. Now, to be honest with you, if I was a regular you know, Jerichoite or whatever person living in Jericho, I would think this guy's going to have a chance. These walls are like 30 feet thick. They might be, you know, I don't know how tall they were, 80 feet tall, 50 feet tall, whatever. They have no siege works. It would take them months to be able to develop the type of engines and the type of, of, uh, of, of structures that would be needed to even get to the top of the walls. And by then, we're throwing stuff down on them. All the weapons they have is probably what they took from, from the, the Amorites that they just defeated. So they probably don't have that much stuff. They're not trained military people. They've been wandering around the desert for 40 years. Right, so what kind of what kind of force would this be to go against? 
But Rahab's looking at this and going, but their God is the one true God. And if he's going to have them take this over, it's through. And do you know what's interesting about all of this? Did it matter what her occupation was? Her occupation was not a good one. It's not one that pleases God. But yet in Hebrews chapter 11, God has her listed right along with Abraham, right along with Moses, right along with Abel and Enoch and all those others, simply because she did something unlike most people do. She responded in faith. She trusted God at his word. She believed that God is the only God and that God fulfills what he promised. And he specifically promised something to his rights here. And she knew this is going to happen. He is the only God. And what is she doing here? When she says to them, hey, I want you to do me a favor. I want you, when you guys come to take this place over, I want you to spare me and my entire family. Who is she really trusting here? She's trusting God. She's trusting that a, that the spies are going to even report this back to, to Joshua and the rest of them. But she knows she has to trust that she's going to be spared from this because she knows that God is the only true God. So we have verse 15. So she let them down by a rope through the window for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. Now she had said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves for three days until they return, then go on your way. The men said to her, this so if you made us swear it will not be binding on us unless we enter the land and you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father, mother, your brothers, and all your family into your house. If anyone goes outside your house into the streets, his blood will be on his own head. We will not be responsible. As for anyone who is in the house with you, his blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on him. But if you will tell what we are doing, we will be released from this oath you have made us swear. Agreed, she replied, let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, the Lord has truly given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. So let's go over to chapter Five, Joshua chapter five, verse 13. What's happened in between these two things um, is that there's another river to cross, okay, that Joshua and the two million people need to cross, and that's the Jordan River. Same thing, God had told them, here's the way I want you to cross the river. So the Ark of the Covenant went about a half a mile in front of the people. When the priest stepped foot in the Jordan River, suddenly the river was at flood stage. So we've all had the benefit of seeing what a river likes here in Kingston, Houston area, <laughs> at flood stage, right? It's a big mess. So imagine the Jordan River at flood stage, not just a simple you know, little brook going thing, but no, literally at flood stage. When the foot hits the water, literally all the water goes and piles up at a place, a city called Adam, all the way uh, upriver from it. It piles up in a big heap, and there's dry ground. And all two million people cross on dry ground. Then God tells Joshua, I want you to go and have people go back into the middle of the river and pick up some rocks from the river instead of a memorial. So they go back to where the river was before, pull up a bunch of rocks, put them up, and set up two memorial altars so that people can look back and say, what happened here? But what happened here is God actually split the Jordan River and actually had the water heap up so we could cross on dry ground so we could take over the promised land. 
So they do that. Right when they, the last person crosses with the rock and leaves the water behind, all the water goes back to exactly where it was before completely at flood stages if nothing ever happened. So if you could imagine the people of Jericho and everywhere else going, you'll never believe what just happened. Right? This river was at flood stage. I mean, I'm sure the farmers were complaining too about their irrigation and all that other type of stuff. But the water, I feel bad for the city of Adam. Like, what was it like over there with all the water piled up over there? But literally the water was stopped so that they could cross through. They crossed through, and then uh, Joshua does something that's very strategically wise to do right before you go into battle. They have all the men circumcised. Not the best idea when you're getting ready to go into battle. Because God says you need to circumcise all the males that were not circumcised while you're in the wilderness. They, They go and do that. Because, again, who's fighting this battle? God. God's the one fighting the battle. Everything about their movement, everything about what they even do prior to or once they're in the promised land is not something that a military commander does. But it's interesting who's actually commanding the army. So when you go to Joshua chapter 5, uh, verse, let's go to verse 12. I'll go with verse 10. Let's go verse 10. Joshua chapter 5, verse 10. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and gross roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but, they, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. Again, just as a reminder that the manna was a complete miracle. Verse 13, now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? I have a question for us real quick. Who is the commander of the Lord's army? Yeah, the Lord, because he says this, the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Where have we seen that happen before? Moses was the burning bush, right? Moses goes up to the area of Sinai way before going to Egypt. And he goes up there and there's a burning bush. And God says to him from the bush, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. So this commander of the army of the Lord is none other than God himself showing himself to Joshua. Joshua realized that, and what's very interesting is whose side has got on? Man, you're side on another side. Right? This is God. Right? He, he, he judges justly. And God, Joshua said, and uh, Joshua did exactly what God said. Joshua chapter 6, verse 1. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one out and no one came in. Right? A true lockdown. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. Now, the Lord is going to give Joshua an incredibly strategic way of doing battle. It says this, march around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up, every man 
straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the people, Advance, march around the city with the armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. Now, what's interesting with this is that not, Joshua can take it. He just goes and says, Okay, Lord, I'll do that. Yes, sure. But what's amazing is all the people that have to follow hear the battle plan. So what's the plan? We're going to walk around the city. And these seven guys are going to blow in ram's horns. Then are we going to charge? No, no. We're going to do it once. And then we're going to go back to camp and sleep. We're going to do the next day. We're going to do the same thing. <laughs> we're going to do it for six days. Really? And then what? Then they'll be terrified and just, you know, surrender? No. The seventh day, we're going to walk around the city seven times. Well, then we'll be tired. How can we even fight after that? No, no. We're going to do it seven times. We're going to blow the horn, and then we're going to shout. And after we shout, those really big, thick walls are just going to crumble. I mean, you would think somebody in the group would say, no, no, that ain't going to happen. No? Now, maybe the crossing of the Jordan and that miracle that happened right in front of them, hopefully that would have been enough for them to go, okay, God's definitely on our side. I mean, even the fact that the, the people in Jericho are terrified, and they're all holed up in that city, and they won't even come out. But, make it free. but part of me would be afraid of people walking around the city thinking, well, aren't there people like, with? can't they shoot me with an arrow from there? Can't they throw rocks down? Can't they do something from on top of that city while we're walking around? Yeah. But what's interesting is who's given the command to do this? This is not Josh coming out of Joshua's brain. This is coming from God himself. God himself, the command of the army of the Lord, God himself tells Joshua, this is the battle plan. This is what I want you to do. And the people... So what do we see that in Hebrews chapter 11? Who got credit for faith? Joshua and the people, by faith, walked around the city exactly as God said. So, verse 8. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time, the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the people, do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout, then shout. It's very interesting. When God's very specific, it's probably a good idea that we follow his commands very specifically, right? But remember when God told Moses, strike the rock and water will come out? And what did Moses do? How many times did he strike it? Twice instead of just the once? And what did God do with Moses? Not seeing the promised land. A bunch of people die. I mean, so if God says something, do something very specific, do it. And it's very interesting that Joshua says, okay, you're not going to say a word as we go around the city. Nothing. Seventh day, when I say shout, then you can shout. Right? Because, like, that night I met the commander of the army of the Lord, and he's not someone to be messed with. We do it exactly as he says. Verse 11. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the people returned to camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning. The priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching around the ark of the Lord, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armen went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. At what point in time don't you think the army would say? Shouldn't something be happening? Shouldn't we maybe see some rocks crumbling each time we go around? 
Should there be some sign that what we're doing is the right thing? You, you know, you think you get day one, I'm going to be very faithful and do it. Day two, okay, I'm still going to do it. Day three, day four, at what point in time would you kind of be like, what are we doing here? This seems kind of useless, right? It didn't take us but, you know, maybe an hour, two hours to walk around the place. And we're just going back. But they, they were faithful. They did it day after day, exactly the way God commanded. Verse 15, on the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on the day they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. It's interesting that Joshua doesn't say, I've given you the city. I'm a great commander and military power. The city is ours. No, he says, the Lord is giving you the city. This, is, this battle is the Lord's. Verse 17, the city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute, that poor lady can't get away from her occupation. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house will, shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. It's interesting. Why was she saved? Because she showed her faith. She showed her faith. So she's spared of this, this whole thing. It's amazing how God even watches over the faithful, even in this detail. As this entire city is about to get knocked out, as this entire wall is about to crumble in front of the people, her name is mentioned very specifically. We are going to take down and remove and destroy everything that moves in this city, except for Rahab specifically and everybody who lives with her. Why? Because she showed her faith in hiding the spies. Verse 18, but keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction, being trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. When the trumpet sounded, the people shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So every man charged straight in, and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with a sword every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. Now, any war that you read about, any battle that you read about, even in ancient times, anytime there's a wall, it's a formidable force. It's something to be reckoned with. Historically, dealing with a wall is a big pain. It takes, it can sometimes, Alexander the Great, it took him over a year to finally knock down the city of Tyre. Why? It had a big wall around it. Right? So it takes time to break through something like that. God did it with a blowing of trumpets and a shot. That's how that wall fell. God is the one who destroyed the wall. It wasn't some engineering thing. It wasn't some thing of sound waves or anything like that, that knocked the thing down. It was literally God who collapsed that wall because the people by faith did exactly what God told them to do. Verse 22, Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. They brought her out, out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it. But they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her, 
because she hid the men Joshua had sent the spies to Jericho, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. And just so you know, Rahab actually ends up being a great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus himself. That ends up being uh, Boaz's great grandmother. It was everything about this is because people responded in faith. Rahab trusted that the God of the Israelites was the one true God, and she knew that they were going to be getting this city, and she put her faith and trust in God that these people were going to spare her, and what happens? When they're literally killing everything that moves in that place, when God collapses the walls so they can go in and do that, while they're, she's hearing all the horror going on outside, she's spared because God's watching over her. When the people are simply walking around a city six times and the seventh day doing it seven times and shouting, and they do it faithfully because God commanded to do it, what happens? The walls fall. When people are faithful to God and do exactly what God commands, God blesses. God watch over. God takes care of it. Because God rewards the faithful. Now, for you and I, I've been thinking about this. I go, well, okay, God hasn't asked me to take over a city. Thank God. He hasn't said, Joshua, I want you to go and conquer Houston or conquer this city or that. Right? Or he hasn't, he hasn't you know, set us up into a situation where someone's about to conquer and he says, okay, I want you to hide these spies and I want you to tell the person in charge. You know, we look at these situations and we go, well, how does this apply to me? What situation am I in like that? I mean, this is some major stuff that's going on here. But for you and I, it's very interesting because God also asks us to do some very difficult things that don't seem like they make very much sense. This battle of Jericho makes no sense militarily. I wasn't traded anything in the army or anything like that, but you read about any war or any military commander or anything, and this is not a strategy book, right? When someone hits you, what should you do? Hit them back. What does God say? Turn to them the other cheek. When someone takes from you, you know what you should do? You should take them to court and get it back. But what does Jesus say to do? Give it to him. When someone hates you, we should hate them back. But what does God say to do? Love them. When your brother uh, does something wrong to you, how many times should you forgive him? Seventy times, seven times. I mean, you should keep on forgiving and keep on forgiving. But what the world says, you shouldn't. Everything about our life when it comes to sin the easiest way, the way that makes the most sense is the way that comes most natural to us. But God commands us and says this, I want you to live your life differently in a way that pleases me. In a way that pleases me. And when we respond in faith and trust in Christ and we, put, and we ask him to save us and his Holy Spirit comes to live within us, he gives us the power to do it, to say no to sin, to do those things that are pleasing to him. And what he asks us to do is he says, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to trust me. I want you to remain faithful to me. I want you to take me at at my word. And when I tell you a certain thing, I ask for you to do it. But you and I say, it's so hard to be content with what I have. It's so hard not to love money. It's so hard to remain faithful. So hard to do these certain types of things. Lord, you just don't understand. And it just doesn't make any sense. Because everything around me seems like it's saying the opposite. 
we can look right back to this and say, you know, those, those guys marched around the city for six days and on the seventh day seven times and shouted, and God proved faithful. He's not asking us to march around the city. He's not asking us to go into battle. We can see he's done all that. that that's, he's asking us simply to be content, to love, to forgive, to be kind, to actualize those fruits of the Spirit. When we want to respond one way, actually believe that when he says, if you respond this way, it's actually better, and I will bless you and watch over you. You say, but I don't see how in the world that's ever going to work. I don't see how that you can make that work out. I don't see how that will benefit me in the long run because at the present time, I want to respond this way. And he says, no, 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 just do it because I'll never leave you or forsake you. I just ask you to be faithful. And you and I can say, but that doesn't make any sense. No different than him telling those guys walking around Jericho. Trust me, on that seventh day, on that seventh time you walk around, when you guys shout, those walls are coming down. If he can knock down the walls of Jericho, can he not also watch over us and bless us? He's asking us to respond to sin in a certain way, to respond to each other in a certain way. He absolutely can. If he was faithful to them, he can be faithful to us. And the great thing is for you and I also, we look at and say, but you know, I'm not that hot of a Christian anyway. I'm not that great. I'm, you know, if I were to measure myself up against others or against God himself, it's a, it doesn't look very nice. How does God reward the prostitute? For her faithfulness. God's looking for faithfulness because with faithfulness, God then forgives. He declares righteous. He justifies. He gives his Holy Spirit and gives us the ability to trust him. And he promises to save the faithful. Amen. Yeah, let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for your work. Uh, thank you, Lord, for the truths in it. I pray, Father, that we'll live by it, that we'll remember it, and that we'll be faithful to you. I pray, Father, that uh, we'll be known as a faithful people, that our own children and those closest to us, Lord, uh, will see our faithfulness. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.